Hello and welcome to the That's Why They Were Quality podcast, where we review, analyse and discuss everything that we think is proper quality. And in this episode, we're talking about a band that's commonly recognised the world over as one of the greatest bands of all time. This band have sold 1.6 billion singles in the US. They have sold 600 million albums worldwide and spent 174 weeks at number one on the UK albums charts. And they have not one, but two porn stars named after them that we know of. They are some of the greatest singer-songwriters of all time. They are some of the greatest musical innovators of all time. And some of the biggest cultural icons of all time. Not the greatest husbands though, I would say. Anyway, this episode is about the Beatles. My name is Louis Sanchez and I'm joined here by Louis Lydon. Hello, you alright? Yeah, not too bad. How are you doing, guys? You alright? Yeah, not bad. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. The small gathering on Savile Row is only the beginning. The event is so momentous that historians may one day view it as a landmark in the decline of the British Empire. The Beatles are breaking up. We go back in the past just once. It's a very great pleasure for us this evening to say hello to an up-and-coming Merseyside group, the Beatles. And I know their names, and I'm going to try and put faces to them now. You're John Lennon, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Then there's Paul McCartney, that's yeah, you. Me, yeah. Then there's George Harrison. Mm, how do you do? Over in the background here, and also in the background of the group, but making a lot of noise, is Ringo Starr. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the Beatles, those are. And this is Beatleland, formerly known as Britain where an epidemic called Beatlemania has seized the teenage population, especially female. And though musicologists say it is no different than any other rock and roll, except maybe louder, it has carried the Beatles to the top of the heap. In fact, they have met royalty, and royalty is appreciative and impressed. The people in the cheaper seats, clap your hands. And the rest of you, if you just rattle the jewelry. Thank you. We'd like to sing a song called Twist and Shout. Who's on next? The Beatles. Get them on quick before they start. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, honored by their country, decorated by their queen, and loved here in America, here are the Beatles. Yesterday. I mean, early in 1966, John gave an interview to Maureen Cleave, do you remember her, at the Evening Standard, in which he made a chance remark saying, we are, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus Christ. John, what exactly happened at the Miller Airport? Uh, we got kicked and pushed about and uh, were very frightened. Well, how frightened were you, George? Um, terrified. I, I seem to recall it was a phone call that somebody came uh, to us in, in this place in Bangor and said uh, that he died. That was kind of stunning because we were off on this sort of finding the meaning of life and there he was, dead. How have you heard trouble if you'd like to pay him, Mr. Epstein? Oh, you know, we don't know what to say. We didn't call him and he was one of us. So you can't, you know, you can't pay tribute in words. If you never taught again, would it worry you? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. See, it's, 
it's gone downhill performance. Uh, if we're not listened to, then and we can't even hear ourselves, then we can't improve in that. We can't get any better. So uh, we, we're trying to get better with things like recording. There's no way around the fact that all pop music, everything that we're experiencing right now and the manner in which we are experiencing, you can lay it at the feet of Elvis, absolutely he's the king, but the standard of recording, uh, the techniques, all of it was designed by the Beatles, period. Beatles mean everything to all of us, like, especially the Northwest, you know about the Beatles by the time you're seven. And by the time you're nine, you probably know the Beatles' story better than your own uncle's stories. We expected it to last 10 years, but it keeps going on and on and on, and it keeps being relevant. Yes, this episode is about Oasis. So, yeah, this episode right now is about the Beatles. And um, So, the Beatles, not bad, are they? Um... They're all right, aren't they? They're not bad. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I've heard better. You've heard better? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not as good as Wings, are they? I mean, you know, because Wings, Wings, they're the band. They're only the band that the Beatles wanted to be. I didn't know you were into music. Oh, I know you're a DJ, but I've heard your show. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I, I like all the bands. I like... I've got a broad taste, you know, from uh, from the Britpop bands like oh. uh, UB40, Def Leppard. <laughs> um, right back to classic rock, like uh, Wings. Who's yeah. Wings? They're only the band the Beatles could have been. That's their true. That's their true. Could have been anyone. But they've got a few tunes, haven't they? They've got a few tunes. They've got one or two, haven't they? One or two. One or two. Now, if there's ever a topic that's been covered to death, it's the Beatles. There are documentaries about every aspect of the Beatles' lives. The documentaries about the fans, the multiple feature films about them. There's loads of podcasts, not just about... Like, there's not just podcasts with episodes about the Beatles. There's podcasts actually dedicated just to the Beatles. There's, multiple, there's more than one website that actually tracks the Beatles' ongoing day-by-day -day activities while they were together. It's mental. What, even now? Do they track uh, their day-by-day? -day? No, probably less interesting now. It is probably less interesting, yeah. yeah. That'd be a bit strange. Paul McCartney recorded Frog Song. From, what, what's yeah. strange about that, though, is yeah. like how if they, if they were step, trying to follow them step-by-step step throughout the day, mm. like what do they do? Kind of jump back. Mm. Like, oh, on the 2nd of June, 1962. Mm. Paul was doing this at three o'clock. Is that? Oh, it depends. depends is what that they, how the format is? Or? Oh, it depends what they were doing. You know, if they were doing something exciting at three o'clock, you know, then, then yeah. <laughs> right then. Yeah. Who are the porn stars? Right, Penny Flame and Abby Rhodes. They're the ones. Okay. That, they're the ones that I've found out so far. I'm surprised there's not more. No, I'm no. I'm surprised there's not more. No, I mean I've, I've researched extensively in this. And um, I'll, I'll continue to <laughs> a do lot, so. A lot of hard research. A lot of hard research that. went into that. You know, it was very productive. <laughs> because type. what you don't want to do is just, just throw out some names of some nobody. So you've no. probably had to research into the individuals, obviously see their back catalog, yeah. see what they've done. Yeah, I had to uh, research a bit about them. You don't really want to do it. Do no, you? I, I mean, don't it's want hard work. No, no that's, that's the thing. It has that's, to be done, though. And that's why it's right off through tax. Because it was <laughs> it was work at the end of the day. It's what, like, that's why my Brazzard subscription is ta tax deductible. <laughs> Well, you know you don't have to pay tax if it's an uh, educational item. So, uh, like, cool. example, things like maps. Yeah. Right. You don't have to pay tax on them because it's yeah. educational. All right. Stuff like that. So, I'm thinking we could. there's a lead there somewhere. Like, yeah. if we're doing research into these and we teach others about them, it's yeah. educational purposes only. Right, that is quality. That's how we get, that's how we get around the tax, man. We're going to do an episode about beer next. We're going to get loaded. Um, 
So yeah, as every aspect of the Beatles' lives you, you can imagine is being covered. So like, if you want anything, like, like if you have any connection to the Beatles, like you met them in a bar or like your next door neighbour knows someone who's once house-sitted for Paul McCartney or you were three miles away in the same, it happened to be in the same building where George Martin once walked his dog, you're probably going to get your own Netflix series and a free book deal because people, yeah. it, it's just covered to death. So if there's anything that you want to know in more detail, there's there's loads of other sources. But what we're going to do is we're going to try and give you a comprehensive view on the Beatles and why they were quality and why, yeah, why they were so loved, why they were probably the greatest band of all time. Sounds good. Let's yeah. dive in. Let's dive in. Okay. So now, to start this story, we have to go to Liverpool. Liverpool is a football club established in 1892 <laughs> that a town in the north of England was named after. Hang about, was, didn't Everton come first? No, no, no. no, no I'm no, pretty sure Everton came first, so... Well, that don't matter, do you? Anyway. I mean, I'm pretty sure Everton's first ground was, was Anfield. <sighs> it's a bit awkward, this, isn't it? I'm pretty sure Everton was there before Liverpool. So first we have to go to Liverpool, <laughs> right? And, uh, and yeah, so a town in the north of England. And uh, John Win- uh, John Winston Lennon was born on the 9th of October 1940 in Liverpool during a German air raid during World War II to Julian Alfred Lennon. Now, Alfred was largely out of the picture while John was growing up, uh, partly due to the fact he was fighting in the war and partly due to the fact, apparently, he was a bit of a bastard. Um and Julia, she moved in, Julia and John moved in with her disapproving father. Um, I think it's quite a religious man. Julia then got pregnant with a Welsh soldier. She gave up the baby for adoption and she met a man called Bobby Dykins and goes off to have two kids with him. Um, and so at the age of four, John had to live with his aunt Mimi. And um, and probably out of the two Beatles, you could say John Lennon's the pessimist. And could you say like, this is where it probably started, really? The, the, like the growing up, not probably feeling loved. Because you, both of your parents kind of abandoned you, really. No, he definitely had an incredibly sad life, mm. um, and you can understand why. In fact, you can, it's, it's hard to see that he went on to do the things that he had done uh, because he had quite a troubled life. Mm. But then, what I would say as well is, is if he had a, a decent upbringing and he was okay, he probably wouldn't be in that position. He probably wouldn't. We probably wouldn't know who he is. No, exactly. So that's something to, to ponder. Exactly, it's like the Eminem of of, of, of rock. He's like the Eminem of Liverpool, isn't he? Eminem of Liverpool. Quite often is. those comparisons have been made. Exactly, yeah. Very similar. Very similar. Both, I mean, I remember that time when um, John Lennon was in Liverpool and he had to go up and do a rap battle yeah, and yeah. defend his name. Yeah. He, he, was, he was ridiculous. He was him and Mick Jagger were spitting some bars. Would be Mick Jagger, wouldn't it? Yeah. So at the age of four, uh, John went to live with Mimi and uh, her husband. Uh, he'd later reconnect um, with Julia. And she would come round to visit Mimi at her house. And she would actually teach him and his friend how to play the banjo, his friend being Eric Griffiths. Um, the first song John learned was Fats Domino's Ain't That a Shame. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears feel like rain. Um, and it was actually Mimi who bought uh, Johnny's first guitar. Now, skiffle music was very popular in the United States in the 1920s, 30s and 40s, and it went through a revival in England in the 1950s. 
um, the most successful musician being Lonnie Donegan. And there was a craze among young people for starting skiffle bands because it didn't require like complex musical skill and the, the instruments were quite cheap. Uh, so in November 1956, uh, Lennon Griffith started a skiffle band with school friend Bill Smith on, he was on T-Chess Bass. It's a weird, um, weird instrument. And what is it? How can you do How would you describe a T-Chess chess bass? Um, I don't know. Um, I imagine you, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not too sure. Sounds a bit odd. Bit odd. It sounds like something that's been made of household items, yeah. slung together to make an instrument. Yeah, well, I imagine that's why it was, you know, it was popular because uh, just yeah, it's yeah. cheap. Yeah, um, Pete, Pete Shotton, Pete Shotton on the washboard. It's the washboard, like. Mm. So is that now? Because I know what you mean by the washboard, but obviously mm. it is a washboard. But mm. is that now? Uh, can you get a washboard as mm. an instrument, which is marketed as an instrument, or do you just have to buy a washboard? I'm not too sure. To could you honest. get like a, a tuned washboard? How do you tune a washboard? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Could I go into a music shop and buy a washboard to use as an instrument? I tell you, it would be bad if you mm. bought an instrumental washboard mm. because you couldn't find a normal washboard. Oh, mate. I'm trying and, to use that. Use that. So that would be criminal, wouldn't it? Real awful, mate. You don't get anything dry. Um, they, they originally called the Blackjacks. The group then changed their names to Quarrymen, which is named after a line in their school's song. They also went to Quarry Bank High School, which inspired the name. Um, so Smith, he would leave the band, um, Nigel Worley and Ivan Vaughan also joined and left the band through 1956-57, Len Gary and uh, drummer Colin Hayton, uh, Hanton, sorry, and Rod Davis joined the group, creating their first stable lineup of the Quarrymen, and it was on the 6th of July 1957 when the Quarrymen performed at St. Peter's Walton Parish Church, it was at this show where John Lennon met the famous Nirvana guitar player Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm never going to let people forget that because when when those, those posters came out, it didn't say, "Oh, this is going to be like Nirvana, you know, featuring Paul McCartney." They said Nirvana reunion, and it's so Paul McCartney is a member of Nirvana. So yeah, James Paul McCartney was born on the 18th of June, 1942 in Liverpool to midwife Mary Patricia and jazz musician James McCartney. So that make, that'd make him junior, actually. So um, he went to Stockton Wood Primary School where he made friends with George Harrison. And his father encouraged him to take up music, which he loved. And among the musicians, um, the instruments he, he played when he grew up was the guitar and the trumpet. On the 6th of July, 1957, he auditioned for the band, um, the Quarrymen, uh, after their afternoon show. Um, he met up with John Lennon and the rest of the band, and he played a 20 Flight Rock by Eddie Cochran. She lives on the 20th floor up town. The elevator's broken down. Um, and he didn't stay for their late show. After the show, Lennon and Shotton talked about McCartney joining the band. Um, Shotton invited him to join the band two weeks later. Paul said um, he would join them after the summer, where he would go to scout camp, and he had to go on a holiday with his family in Butlins. So, where so, was the Butlins? Um, in Wales, I believe it was. 
But I bet it was a nice holiday. But I mean, like you, you, you potentially you're delaying the start of the Beatles to go to Butlins. Yeah, I put that on the poster. Your <laughs> <laughs> uh, madness. Um, so he returned from holiday and Shotton and Davis they had left the quarryman, feeling they were moving away from skiffle and more towards rock. Um, Paul joined the band and he actually taught John how to play um, play those banjo chords actually on the guitar. I tell you what, imagine mm. imagine being a musician mm. and making the decision to back skiffle rather than rock mm. in in you know the nineteen late nineteen fifties. Yeah, little do they know. Like, it's one thing kind of leaving the Corrymen, which was obviously went on to be the Beatles. But mm. and, and let's be honest, even if these people, even if these individuals stayed in the Corrymen, they mm. might not have become the success they did go on to become. No, but imagine deciding I'm going to back Skiffle over Rock. That is madness. Hipsters, hipsters of music. So, um, something that would bond John and Paul together was um, one shared experience was, of course, early deaths of their parents um, as. Paul's mother had actually died of cancer uh, a year earlier on the 31st of October 1956. Um, so Paul McCartney, he performs for the first time with the Quarrymen. Um, they soon started to write songs together and now again they're a rock band so they need a lead guitarist. And so it was on the 2nd of so it was on the 6th of February 1958 that Paul McCartney introduced George Harrison to John Lennon. George Harrison was born 25th of February 1942 to Harold and Louise Harrison. He was one of three children with sister Louise and brother Peter. He left school without many qualifications and considered to be an apprentice engineer. Um, in 1959, he formed a skiffle group called the Rebels with his brother Pete and school friend and, and a friend Arthur Kelly. Um, and he joined another other groups before he joined the Quarrymen. Um, so in March, George auditioned with, with the band, um, playing guitar boogie shuffle. Lennon thought that he was a bit too young, as he was only 14 at the time, um, and said, oh, mate, you can't, can't join the band. So then, on top of a double-decker bus, it was then that George auditioned again for, for John, and he played him Raunchy by Bill Justice. And that's what got him into the band. Um, another one of Paul's friends, John Dufflo, also joined the band playing piano. Now, the Quarrymen had four guitarists. So Lennon and McCartney suggested to Griffiths that he instead buy a bass guitar. Uh, Griffiths refused because of the expense. Um, so they actually convinced their manager and bandmate Nigel Worley to fire Griffiths. Um, after this happened, Worley... He regretted the incident and he quit the band. Uh, and around this time, Len Gary, um, another band member, contracted tubercular meningitis and spent seven months in hospital and never played the group again. Well, that, that's a really sad. It is quite kind of sad. Start. I mean, all of that. I mean, yeah. the, the fact of the matter is, 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 is Lennon and McCartney said to Griffiths, you buy a bass guitar. He couldn't mm. afford it. Mm. And so they went behind his back, went to the other bandmate and said, you need to fire him. Mm. It's quite two-faced. 
is a series of very shady and two-faced things we're going to find out in this episode. Yeah, this, I this thought, story... I mean, why couldn't they all chip in and, mm. and get in the bass guitar? I know, I know. Or just, or just all chip in and nick one. Like, like, yeah, that's true, that's exactly. true. Yeah. And then this other guy felt so bad yeah. that he quit. He quit. And on top of that... Well, he didn't other... quit, he got fired, actually. Because they, they, went behind, they went behind his back to say to the manager, you know... No, no, the other guy though. The, oh, the meningitis. Oh, sorry, why? No, sorry, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He felt bad. Yeah, yeah. Quit. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. As I say, musical geniuses like some of the, the, the greatest minds of their generation. Not the nicest of people. The Beatles, I wouldn't say. They're very complicated people. Well, I suppose you need to be if you're that. Mm. The way their minds work and the music they produce, they have to be complicated people. Not everyone can be Justin Timberlake, who's just like all round goodness. All round a decent fella. Decent, decent geezer. Why? Why? And this this leads us on to the real mm. subjects of this uh, this podcast. Mm. Why is a geezer Justin Timberlake? Mm. Why is it? Why is he a geezer? Why is he a geezer? Mate, that would be too. That <laughs> be, I couldn't cover. I have to do a series on that. That would just be oh. Mate, you need you need you need, you couldn't do that through audio. You need pictures for you that. Need, you, need, you need graphic images. You need graphic images for that, mate. Um, so the group now consisted of Colin Hay- Hanson, uh, Lennon, McCartney and Harrison. Um, and in March, um, McCartney bought an uh, Elipico amplifier with two inputs and he and Harrison added pickups to their guitars, giving the quarrymen now more an electric sound. Now, in 1958, they actually recorded their first two demos in Philips' uh, sound recording uh, studio. Um, those two demos, which was a sort of home studio that was, um, sorry, it's Philips Sound Recording Services, which is a home studio in Liverpool. Um, they recorded a cover of That'll Be The Day, a Buddy Holly song. Buddy Holly song, and in, in spite of all the danger, a song that was written by Lennon um, and uh, Harrison. No, sorry, it was written by McCartney and Harrison, attributed to. And this is the first recording of Lennon, McCartney and Harrison. Of course, joined by Colin Hayton um, and Dufflo, of course, who's also playing piano. So after the recording session, Hanton had a fight with the rest of the group and he quit. Um, Low 2 lost uh, contact with the group after leaving the Liverpool Institute. Um, and that just left their three guitarists consisting of the, that made up the quarrymen. Now, it was on the 15th of July, 1958, that John Lennon's mother, uh, Julia, actually died. She was involved in a car accident um, when an off-duty police officer um, ran into her. Yeah. Uh, again, bonding Lennon and McCartney, you know, even closer, because now they've got this shared experience. Yeah. Um, um, and I, 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 mm. I think it happened quite close to the house, so, mm. to John Lennon's house. But this is where kind of... I think this is where a lot of John's problems came with authority mm. because it was a police officer 
who is meant to be looking after, you know, meant to look after the community, ends up killing his mum. Mm. So who can he trust? Yeah. If you can't trust the police, then who can you trust? I think that, and, and then John had a real issue with authority from then on. I'll tell you something else as well. If you'd ever listen to the song Julia on the Love album, there's a, there's a bit in it. There's like a reissue of like, it was sort of remix of the Beatles songs. And um, they do, they've got this song Julia in there. I think it's mixed with Blackbird. And right at the end of the Julia part, they have um, a police siren going off. And it's, it's like, you got to listen to it. It's really, I've ever listened to it. It's on Spotify. Like, just incredible. Really, like, add, add something to the song. Which I didn't think would make it even better than it is. Brilliant. Really. Um, so, yeah, so this caused the quarryman to stop being active throughout the summer. Um, and job, uh, John took a job in a restaurant at Liverpool Airport. Um, George and Paul, they went hiking in Wales. They played with a skiffle group called the Vikings. And towards the end of the year, Harrison, Lennon and McCartney, they formed the band, the three of them, and in the autumn. Um, and they, start, they had an audition for Star Searching. They went by the name of Johnny and the Moondocks. Didn't pass the audition, but John stole a guitar, so, you know... Then the three decided to call themselves Japage Free, combining letters from each of the members' names, John, Paul and George. Uh, Lennon had a friend from art school named Derek Hodkin, who owned a tape recorder, and Lennon uh, convinced him to record the group, along, along with McCartney's brother Mike on drums. And the group asked Hodkin to act as their manager, and he agreed. Um, so Hodkins started to get on bookings, um, but the bookings dried up, and Harrison began a stint as a rhythm guitarist in the Les Stewart Quartet, um, who had a weekly club engagement. Uh, by May, Jap Age 3, that was defunct, and the three continued to see each other socially, and Lennon McCartney continued to still write songs together. In the summer of 1957, Mona Best, who was a local Liverpool club owner, um, she decided to open a club in, in a cellar, um, and she offered the Les Paul, let's uh, say the Les Stewart Quartet a residency, only if they would help convert uh, their cellar. Um, Harrison fellow quartet guitarist Ken Brown, um, they missed the show, causing um, them to fire the Les uh, Stewart Quartet, and um, they and they dropped their residency. Um, if you, if if you, uh, it is kind of as strange as it sounds opening a club in the cellar. But um, hmm. if, you, if anyone gets a chance to go to the Beatles experience in Liverpool, oh. uh, have you been there? Yeah, I've yeah, been to really. I've been to I've been to the cavern in Liverpool. I don't know. I've been a... to the cavern. Yeah, I've been to the cavern. But there's like a it's called the Beatles experience. I think oh, right. it's kind of on the docks. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like a museum, and mm. it's really good. Mm. It's really worth going to. But there's a bit. There's some really cool bits where you kind of walk down what Liverpool. It, it's not obviously perfect, but they they try and recreate what a Liverpool street would be like back then. Mm. And there's a bit where you kind of go through and you see this kind of basement area, and it's really strange. Mm. It is like just someone's like house mm. that they've converted. It looks really bizarre, but yeah, mm. it's a strange one. But it's a key part of their history. And while you're there, listen to the podcast while you're going along. Yeah, along there. I think they do have. Like audio things, but hopefully yeah. they'll replace place with ours. Place it with ours. So. Yeah, I mean, like listening like going for a Liverpool street, going. Yeah, I think like, I would want to see some graphic pictures of um, of Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I would. <laughs> you began. You, they recreated Penny Lane at one point. You go, yeah, yeah there, there's a porn star called Penny. Penny Flame. Yeah, <laughs> Penny Flame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Those are the facts that they don't tell you. They, well, they don't tell you, mate. They, you get. We tell you the real stuff. Is that we get? We read up between the lines. So yeah, they um. So they were fired, and 
the Les Stewart, um, the Les Stewart Quartet had to drop the residency. Um, and this caused distress to Mona, but Harrison offered a solution. He recruited Lennon and McCartney to play, and they returned to calling themselves the Quarrymen. Now, four guitarist lineup of the Quarrymen, consisting of Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Brown, opened the Cash Bar Club on the 29th of August 1959. Well, they continued their residency um, in the Cash Bar into the new year. Um, in January, Brown grew ill and was unable to play the show. Best, however, insisted that the Quarrymen still played, uh, still paid Brown. But Lennon, McCartney and Harrison refused. Uh, the incident resulted in the loss of their residency at the cash bar and Brown's departure from the group. So again, more shady practices yeah, from the business. Shady. Have we got, do you know kind of how long he was ill for? Uh, if I do, also I how, was, how serious it was as well. I will insert that information in here. He injured his leg. It, it wasn't too bad. Because the two ways of looking at that is if he was, if he maybe was just ill for a week, let's mm. just say he had a week off, he was ill, weren't feeling it, and they refused to pay him, that's pretty harsh because he's only missed a week. Yeah. You know, you can survive a week without him. But also, he might have been seriously ill. Mm. What if he was seriously ill and he was like off for like a month and like on, on, on you know, like seriously, could have been life threatening? Mm. And then they still refused to pay him. There's no kind of good way out of that. No. The only good way is if they, he like, Maybe kept calling in sick last minute. Maybe he kept pulling a sickie like he was on mm. a job. Like, you know, oh, oh, sorry, I'm not feeling great. Oh, mm. I won't be able to make it in today. Oh, my car won't start as well. If he was doing that on a day in, day out, then I make him right. Or but he was a racist. I don't know how you've got that from that. I suppose, <laughs> no, no, you know, no, hang on, I'm no. going to say something quite political here. Yeah. Racism is an illness. So there we go. We've solved no, that, that one. Is, oh, We've mate, solved that, that one. Oh. Oh, mate, beautiful. Anyway, so shortly after, uh, Lennon convinced a uh, fellow art student, Stuart Sutcliffe, to purchase a bass guitar and join the group. Now, Stuart was a, a really close friend of John and became friends with the rest of them as well. Um, now, But Stuart, he was a novice, and um, he rehearsed a lot to make himself better, but he wasn't like, a great bass player. Um, but did you know Stuart was the first Beatle to ever get on British television? He actually appeared on TV with Spike Milligan on Granada Television, in a Q&A answer programme about comedy and surreal art. Okay. So, yeah, first first Beatle to be on TV. So, in early 1960, the Quarrymen returned to Philips Sound Recording Services to record a Lennon new original song, One After 909. We'll, we'll hear about that later as well. Although this recording has never survived. Uh, they went through several name changes, including Lost Paranoias. Uh, but in March 1960, Lennon and Sutcliffe came up with a new name, The Beatles. And the name was allegedly inspired, uh, was thought of by Stuart Sutcliffe in a brainstorming session, uh, inspired by Buddy Holly's band The Crickets. Um, it was also a tribute to beat music, and it's also believed to be inspired by the film The Wild Ones, in which Lee Marvin referred to the biker girls as Beatles. Um, so there's a few disputed sources to what actually the name, where it comes from. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quality name. It's a really good name, it's really clever. Mm. So the band went through several variations of the name, including the Silver Beatles, Silver Beats, again calling themselves the Silver Beatles once more, uh, before settling in 1960 in August on the Beatles. Um, so in May, they started to get bookings secured by Alan Williams, the owner of the Jacaranda, uh, the Jacaranda Club, um, where they played, and he then became their manager. Um, mm. So when, when they came up with the name for the Beatles... Mm. 
Um, do you think that Eero... Oh, how about the Beatles, as in, like, the, the, the bug, the insects? Um, yeah. Do you think that one of the others went, oh, hang on, maybe you should mix that around. Rather than B-E-E-T, mm. you should make it beat, as in a musical beat. I think, I think do, that's do, what it, yeah. do you think, do you think, or do you think the person, do you think when he came up with it, mm. he just came out of it as it is? I, I don't know, I think, that's disputing stories, but in that film, I don't remember which one it was, it was either the true story of John Lennon, or Nowhere, Nowhere Boy, I think it was, there was a scene where that, that, that's what they said, let's make it the Beatles, but beat, as in, that's what yeah. so, so that, that, according to the film, that's where it comes from, yeah, but, um, I suppose the only people who would know would be Stuart and John. So in June um, of this year is when the Beatles were introduced to Benzedrine, which was their first encounter with drugs. It wasn't their last, it's needless to say. Um, and George is spoke about beat poet Roy Ellis actually telling them that if you open a Vix inhaler and you find you can find Benzedrine impregnated into the cardboard divide, uh, you chew on the cardboard strip known as a spitball, and it energised you users, giving them a euphoric effect. What a strange drug. Strange drug, but I mean, you've got to start you, somewhere. Yeah, I suppose you have. Yeah. But also, what a strange... Who, who was the first one to find that? It was, um... I believe I believe no, it I, was, I, like, I, a group a group experience, it sounds like. No, 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 I mean, I don't mean specifically, oh, but, like, who was the original person who, who yeah. decided to chew on that bit of cardboard? Someone just thought, this cold is not going, this illness is not going. What if I chew on this, Vix? Why That's fair I... enough. And uh, yeah, I bet it but they felt better. So, manager Alan Williams was booking bands to play Scotland, supporting a Liverpool singer, Johnny Gentle. He was also looking for bands to play in Germany, and that's where he got the Beatles their first Germany booking in Hamburg, where they would make more money than their parents. It was on the 6th of August 1960, the Beatles asked Pete Best, who was Mona Best's son, to actually join the band. He auditioned for the band four days later and got in. Um, it was then on the 16th of August that the Beatles set off for Hamburg in a green Austin van. There was 10 passengers travelling. Of course, you had John, Paul, George, Stuart and Pete. Alan Williams, the manager, his wife Beryl, their brother Barry Chang, and a friend Lord Woodbine and Harry Steiner, um, or St- yeah, Steiner, the interpreter for the German promoter. Uh, they got the ferry to um, Anheim. After taking a wrong turning, they wandered around the city where John again stole a harmonica. He's got he's got a bit of a thing for stealing stuff. Yeah, he's that that authority business, I believe. Yeah, and also free free harmonica. You know, also, I tell you what, if you could, if you, if I turned around to you and said. You can go on one road trip that's happened throughout history. Oh. I bet that would have been a good one to go on. That would be quality. That would have been a quality one. That would be, be up there. Yeah. In fact, we should, that, that's something to have a think about. Like, yeah. What do you think the best road trips that have ever taken place mm. could be? I mean, that's up there. Yeah. It would be good if we could find some... I bet they had some stories from that road trip. But it would be good if we could find something like that. Oh, mate, yeah. We'll, so, we'll look into that. Turning all the lights off, getting, you know... You know... Getting a... Well, I didn't mean like that. I mean, I mean they maybe had a bit of banter or something, but you've obviously well, turned this into a bit of a penny flame scenario. Penny flame scenario, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. But, but, but I was, of course, referring to the wanking, the wanking incident. 
mean, uh, yeah. Oh, so you're bringing that up now? I don't. Should I bring it up later? Oh, we'll, we'll bring it up later. We'll bring Where it up. did it come up in this timeline? I don't know. Super I can't. I can't find it concrete. They just said when they were like when before before they became famous. Obviously. Well, we might as well talk about it now. Talk about it now. Yeah. I Take us find away. It, I couldn't find an exact. We're going to go off on a little detour. So let's put a pin in this trip. Pin in this we trip. We just had yeah. the Rome trip. So John stolen a harmonica. Yeah, yeah. Remember that. Now yeah. we're going on a detour. Take us away. Well, this possibly did happen in the van or not. We don't know. No, 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 we don't know if <laughs> but apparently, right, is like when they were all when they were all like growing up and stuff, and they were teenagers in Liverpool and what have you. They um, like they would hang out and they would turn the lights out, and then they'd start masturbating. And so they're all in the room together. Yeah. Like how close do you think they are to each other? I don't hope. I don't know, mate. I mean, let's I assume. Let's assume that it's pitch black. Yeah. Pitch black, so they can't see each other. Just got to avoid the splash. I'm just. I just want to know how close they are to each other. I imagine very close to doing that kind of thing. So. It's a strange thing to think about. It's very strange. Thing, very strange. But um, but yeah, not all information. See, the, in interviews, like like like, not all content is a good interview. I, like, if I was a, a journalist who discovered that with Paul, I was like, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that out. I'm gonna, the, I'm pro- gonna... the problem is with journalists is they yeah. don't. That, that, yeah. That's a good story for them. I suppose, yeah. But as fans of the people, if I found no. that, I'd probably burn that bit of that document. Yeah, yeah. I'll first of all, I'd question why this piece of information is on an official yeah. document that's been locked away from my eyes only. Yeah. <laughs> but I would get rid of it. And if, if, like, if like, I go back in time, like in in the film in the Indiana Jones film, where he's sealing up that fucking um that that crate with the um yeah the thing in, yeah. I'd say oh, hold on hold on there mate hold on, bung this in there as well, yeah. bung this story in there as well, steal that up. All right, the don't, don't worry who I am. Love that you're in there. Yeah, the government would love that. Yeah, story. so don't, don't worry about who I am or I, I got. Don't 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 worry. Just, just you know. Don't. I think there would be like, wait, who are you? Armed soldiers who come out pointing guns at you. Yeah, yeah. And they say, if you just go listen, listen, read this, and you'll know why I'm here. And yeah, you know, I'll give it to you. They'd read it, yeah. and they'd say, you've done the best thing. Thank yeah. you for coming in. Yeah. But I tell you what, they'll probably shoot you on the way out. Yeah, like, we don't they know... can't... The fact that you know that, they wouldn't trust yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know who the Beatles are. This is just after World War Two. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so hang on, hang on. So at some point during this story, you've created a time machine. Yeah. So you've created a time machine. You can go back and do anything. Yeah. You literally have the power to go back. You could prevent it World War Two. Yeah. But you decide to go back... Just after World War Two, yeah. take this one document into a fictionalized world, into a fictionalized <laughs> world, and seal it away forever. Even though you could just burn it in today's day and age and use your one trip on a time machine for something else, no, you yeah. decide to go back and seal it away in the Indiana Jones warehouse. Free trip to Germany, you know, free trip to duty free on the way back. <laughs> what else do you think they they have in there? I tell you what we should do. Yeah, I tell you what we should do. We should, from from all of our podcasts from now, we should uh, put something. Um, something bad from our podcast the, the, the subject matter have done mm. we should put it into the Indiana Jones so like on, on the last one it could be that like the, the, the way, way Rodney says I dated a Chinese woman once bung that in the fucking yeah, bung it in the that, box bung about I mean you've got there's several things you could do on that one I mean yeah. I, I thought you'd say the old uh, the old uh, charity um Sketch with David Beckham, the children need to bung that in the that fucking in uh, bung that, mate. <laughs> that's, that that's going in there straight away, mate. Right, if that's not already in there, I'll be the like, script. So you find the script right there, uh, pick it up, take it away, <laughs> bang it in there, bang it in there. Who wrote that? I know we're going off topic again. Yeah. Who wrote that? That I, I, thing? I, I, just, 
Yeah, John Sullivan must. No, he didn't write. No, yeah, that that that's why it was so bad. It was the only bit of Only Fools and Horses ever not written by John Sullivan. All right, so going back to what we were, so they used to masturbate in a dark room together. Yeah, so they're wanking away, going off to Germany, stealing harmonicas, having a great time. Anyway, they went from Liverpool to Hamburg, of course, paving the way for Kevin Keegan to do the same many years later. They very much not finding much success in England. They went to Germany. Um, very much they were like the Jaden Sanchos of their time. They were, yeah. They were. Yeah. So the next day they arrived in Hamburg in the early evening um, and they played for 48 nights in the in the Indra Club. Um, and the group's contract was for two months, um, from the 17th of August to the 16th of October, they would receive 30 Deutschmarks, which at the time uh, translates to £2.50 per person each day. And they were paid every Thursday. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, and they paid mental, mental. They would play every night. Um, they were expected to perform for four and a half hours each weekday night, um, six, six hours on Saturdays. Uh, the crowds were small. And the Beatles, they mostly just stood on stage. Um, they were told by their manager, Alan Williams, they needed to you know, put on more of a show. And it was by playing every night that they got better in Hamburg. Bet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the end of it, they were like an incredible live band. Yeah, how much material do you need for six hours? That's mm. crazy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because they, they obviously they had original songs. Um, they uh, but they I think it was mostly covers as well at the time. Um, yeah, I bet. I yeah. Bet, yeah, but still, to to remember six hours worth of content, yeah. that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and on their trip, of course, um, Lennon would get into arguments with the audiences. Um, one night, he performed in his underpants with a toilet seat around his neck. Also, while they're in Hamburg. Uh, they were performing with a group um, called Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. They they were performing around the same time with them. And uh, part of that group was the drummer Ringo Starr, Richard Starkey. Who's that? Um, he was, he, well, don't worry about it. We'll get, we'll get to right, that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Doesn't ring any bells to me. No, no. You don't want Thomas the Tank Engine much, no? Oh, of course. Yeah, Thomas that gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the blue fella in it. Yeah. With the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that one. Yeah, or is he the fat? The Fat Controller. He's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's, yeah, he's one, one of them. He's one of them. He's, he's, one, of them. he's, he's one of them. He's Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine. That's all he did, yeah. I think he was in an episode of The Simpsons as well. Was he? Yeah. Oh, Let's not yeah, worry about that. Yeah, yeah. Simpsons made him famous. Simpsons, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, he met, he met the Beatles around this time. And it's around the time, actually, because, again, they were working these long shifts. Sometimes they were doing 12-hour shifts from 7pm to 7am. They needed something to get them going. So that's when they started taking amphetamines that were called proudin. I'm not surprised. Prelies. Yeah. I'm not surprised if they're working those those mm. hours. To be honest. Oh, and, and they were they were handed out actually by people at the club, by waiters at the club, um, and they were saying that like the more you took these proudins, the more dry mouths you would get. So the more beer you would drink, I think they they probably handed them out to like, people who are non-performers as well. Yeah, imagine and so uh, just a good way to earn money, really. Imagine if 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 there was a, a bar doing that now. Yeah. Well, they they wouldn't last very long. They would be right. shut down by like the health authorities, arrested by the police. It would be yeah. an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. But if if it does get legalised and you want to sponsor us, let us know. Let us know. Let us know. We'll endorse um, it. Exactly. Um, John, he was the biggest user of these, but um, but Paul, he was less keen, and Pete, he just stuck to alcohol really. Anyway, they continued to take amphetamines through the the Beatlemania era as well. Because this this crazy schedule they were on didn't really stop really for a long time, um, but anyway, yeah, they um they didn't actually take weed actually 
um, until after they got to Hamburg as well. They tried it in Southport but weren't too impressed with it. Um, so Klaus Vormann one night went to see the Beatles and um, he, he saw them play and loved them. And he told his then girlfriend Astrid Kircher and his friend Jürgen Vollmer to watch them perform the following night. And Klaus and Astrid, uh, they, came, they came to see him. Um, and Klaus and Astrid's relationship, of course, became uh, mostly platonic. And it was then that Stuart started to date Astrid. Um, now, around this time, of course, uh, John, George and Paul uh, targeted Stuart and Pete, maybe because they were like the new members of the band. Um, Paul and Stuart actually had a fight once on stage. Um, Stuart allegedly also had a fight with John Lennon in an alleyway in which John kicked him in the head. Although this hasn't been verified, neither has the date. But... Again, another kind of another dark bit of history there. That. Mm. I, don't, I don't really like the idea of John Lennon kicking someone in the head. Anyway, you're not going to like what it leads to in a second as well. Okay, but we'll we'll get back to that. Um, So the Beatles they agreed to play the top ten club on the thirtieth of uh, October nineteen sixty. Anyway, so it was in November that Stuart and Astrid they got engaged, and he enrolled in German art college. He was a very great. He was a good artist, like Stuart. After his death as well, his paintings have gone on to like sell, and he's um, big money. I, mean, really, I think the Beatles fame helped him. Yeah, right? I was just yeah. about to ask. Uh, it's one of those things where you'd probably pay a premium just for who it is. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But I, I imagine he was... Um... Like Hitler. Now, I'm not comparing the Beatles to Hitler. But what I'm saying is, is he, had fa- he has paintings, didn't he? He was quite a good painter, by all accounts. So you needed a drink after hearing that. Uh, he was quite a good painter, by all accounts. But let's be honest, his art probably himself, for as much as what it could have done, mm. if he wasn't Hitler. This, this is taking a dark turn. <laughs> These are your words. I suppose they are my words, yeah. Well, let's move on. It was we? a different time. Let's move on. <laughs> it, was, it was a different time. So anyway, um, yeah, so after they got engaged, Stuart left the band. Um, then it was in November, the 21st of November, 1960, George was deported for being underage, under legal working age. He was 15 at this time. Uh, discovery, of course, took place the day before. And so Harrison stayed up all night teaching Lennon the guitar parts. Um, it was then um, eight days later on the 29th that Paul McCartney and Pete Best, they were also arrested for working illegally. Uh, John Lennon left Hamburg as well. And Stuart and Astrid, they went into hiding in Germany. Um, so oh, that's a bit of a... Hmm. Turned into a bit of a... Yeah, a saucy story yeah. there, didn't it? Like, it was all, uh, all stricken with crime, people getting arrested left, right and centre... And then Stuart and Astrid went into hiding. Yeah, you're right, isn't it? Yeah. That's nice. Um, that would so, be a film. Oh, it'd be a great. I, I think it probably has, actually. I mean, I've got a film called Backbeat. It's about the Beatles' early days. But it'd be good to get one about just Stuart and Astrid, though. That'd be yeah, interesting. that'd be interesting. Yeah. So um, they go back to performing in Liverpool and performing the Cash Bar Club again. Um, and um, it's then in. Uh, it's then later on. In January, Stuart comes back from Hamburg. Anyway, they keep performing in Liverpool. Um, it's around about this time, in January of 1961, there's a story that Stuart Sutcliffe got into a fight after a performance in Laverhome Hall in Liverpool. Um, and Alan Williams has said that John and Pete dragged Stuart to safety. Uh, at this time, Stuart refused medical treatment and an x-ray scan. So they go back to Hamburg, of course, in March. They play the top 10 club every day, crazy schedule. Um, and it's, that's their... All, all of them go back? Um, I don't believe Stuart... I think Stuart went back, but he wasn't part of um, 
might have gone to see. He went, but yeah, he, he went back with Astrid. Yeah. Um, uh, I think later, but he wasn't part of part of the, the band. It's, it's quite ballsy to get arrested. Like obviously, mm. uh, George was kicked out. Mm. Uh, kicked out of jail and the rest were arrested and yeah. they just travel back because I guarantee they probably haven't done any of the illegal no they had the legal checks again so yeah weird probably stole another harmonica on the way probably probably in another saucy uh, saucy uh, van ride over there as well exactly so back in Hamburg playing again crazy schedule um, it's then when they actually record with singer Tony Sheridan who they're sort of performing as backing artists for as well some nights in in, in Hamburg um, and it's on this second trip that Astrid gave them their famous Beatle haircuts as well. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. She just gave them these haircuts. Just gave them the old haircuts. Another reason there should be a film power. There should be. I imagine that there must be. There must be. Um, but anyway, the Beatles, they recorded material with Tony Sheridan on the 22nd, uh, between the 22nd of June and the 24th of June. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, mm. but imagine that, that woman could go open a barber's anywhere. She, she could smash, do. Did she? No, no, she should. She should do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine being the one who gave the Beatles their haircut. Yeah. But if someone came in asking for a mullet, you'd be well, I mean... No. It's not really what I do. Not really what I do. I only is do it? one style. I one style. You'd have four I do style pictures. really well. You'd have four yeah. pictures up. But the thing is, at the time, is that everyone would have would have yeah. it. So. Yeah. And Gallagher's probably would have, would have gone there. Yeah. yeah. Now, in November, John Lennon, he gets given £100 for his 21st birthday. And he, he asked Paul McCartney to go to Paris with him. Which I think is really a really nice story, and and it's mad like he's twenty one, and I think another reason why the Beatles are quality is because they were getting in all of this, all these life experiences were happening to them in their early twenties. I mean, yeah, that's another reason that I think influenced a lot of what they were writing about, and it really made them a wise beyond their beyond their years in some ways. So on the twenty eighth of October, nineteen sixty one. Raymond Jones walks into a music store in Liverpool called NEMS and he says to the person behind the counter, uh, did you see the Liverpool result the other day? He goes, yeah, they won 5-0 uh, against Leeds. Yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, I think they'll win the league. Yeah, I think they will actually, yeah. And he also says, uh, do you have My Bonnie by the Beatles? Uh, not recognising that it was actually Tony Sheridan and the Beatles as the Beatles were Tony Sheridan's backing group. And this is believed to be by many the first time that Brian had actually heard of the Beatles. However, this has been disputed. So Brian Samuel Epstein was born on the 19th of September 1934 on Rodney Street in Liverpool to Jewish parents Harry and Malka. Brian was expelled from school for being lazy. He was then conscripted to the army. He only served 10 months of his two-year national service because he was pronounced emotionally unfit. Um, in his autobiography, A Cellar Full of Noise, which was released in 1964, he was caught impersonating an officer um, as he asked a tailor to make a officer's uniform and then he used it to cruise the bars of London. He was arrested by a military police and he avoided a court-martial by agreeing to see an army psychiatrist who uncovered um, Brian Epstein's homosexuality. Um, he returned to Liverpool in 1954 and he was put in charge of Clarendon Furniture, a branch of the family business. He proved to be really successful and he persuaded his parents to let him train as an actor at the Royal Academy for Dramatic Arts, otherwise known as RADA. 
he passed the audition and became a classmate of Peter O'Toole. He dropped out after a third term, saying he was too much of a businessman to enjoy being a student. He went back to Liverpool and worked for his parents, and he was made a director of NEMS. He was in charge of managing the ground floor, and he expanded from selling pianos and wireless radios to gramophone records. Uh, the shop became a success and became one of the biggest music stores in the north of England. He also asked Bill Harry, the editor of Merseybeat magazine, if he could write a column, which he agreed to. Um, it's believed there that that's where Brian actually first heard of the Beatles, as the Beatles were featured in Merseybeat. I've just got to say, it is it's nice to finally be talking about a positive Epstein for once. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. So Brian went to see the Beatles perform at the Cavern Club. And I don't believe he was very impressed with their professionalism. They were eating on stage. They were smoking, I believe. But there was something about them that he liked. Um, they, I mean, take away the music. They had this charisma about them. I mean, all four of them are very different people. Come from... Uh, similar backgrounds, had similar life experiences, but they're all very, four distinctive people with distinctive personalities. Now, even when you see them interviewed, like take the music away, they've got this charisma about them, I mean, which is another reason why they were quality. And their live act was really good because they've played together so many times that they got a chance to hone their live act. Brian's looking for groups to sign to start his own music label. And so he met the Beatles and he became their manager. He told them they've got to look more professional. They've got to wear suits and they've got to bow at the end of performances and they've got to clean up their image. And this made them an act that not only young people could enjoy, but their parents could enjoy. Because at the time, uh, young people and their parents, they were listening to the same radio. They were watching the same television in the UK at the time, at least because of the limited uh, radio stations and TV channels. So if you could find an act that both young people and their parents uh, could both enjoy, then they were going to be massively successful. And that's another reason why the Beatles were quality, because they could appeal to both age demographics, and that made them able to really bring people together. So around about this time, Stuart was suffering serious headaches, and towards the end of the year, Stuart collapsed in the Hamburg College of Art. Um, it was thought like it was just due to him working hard, um, and Astrid's mother set up a series of medical tests for him, but no reasons uh, for no like the, the headaches. The no reason that they should look like played into it. Um, he stayed into Astrid's family house, and um, his condition got worse, and he suffered an aversion to light. Uh, Stuart made one more trip back to Liverpool, um, and George Harrison talks about you know how they you know he went up to everyone and. And it's basically just to reunite with everyone, you know. At this point, they didn't think anything was seriously wrong with him, really. Um, so around about this time, of course, in December, the 8th of December, is when the Beatles' unconfirmed first encounter with cocaine happened as well. Singer Davy Jones was at the Cavern Club, and he's believed to have actually introduced them to cocaine. But that's uh, it's unconfirmed. unconfirmed. Now, under Brian Epstein, they got their first audition for a major record label. On the 1st of January 1962, the band had an unsuccessful audition for Decca Records in London. 
The band had a 10-hour drive through a snowstorm, um, and they recorded 15 tracks in just over an hour. Um, later on, uh, 24th, John Paul and George signed a management contract with Brian Epstein, giving him a fee of 10%, which could rise to 15% if their income would exceed £120. Um, the beat was rejected by Decker in February. And also in February, Stuart Sutcliffe collapses again. Once more is taken uh, to the room where him and Astrid shared. He remained there for some time, painting, writing songs, um, writing long letters, and suffering more violent, painful headaches and blackouts. Um, his temper got worse, and it made it difficult for Astrid and her mother to look after him. Um, and the medical treatment he received didn't really appear to be having any effect. Uh, around about this time as well, Epstein, Brian Epstein, called to see a friend he made on a retail management course, who suggested his tapes should be transferred to discs. The shop owner was so impressed, he called down a music publisher from the top floor office, who in turn made a call to George Martin's secretary and recommended a meeting with Brian Epstein. George Henry Martin was born on the 3rd of January 1926. He grew up very poor, with no running water or electricity. He had an interest in music from an early age. During the war, he worked briefly as a quantity surveyor and a clerk in the war office. And then in 1943, he joined the Fleet Air Army of the Royal Navy. He remained there until 1947, becoming a pilot and a commissioned officer, though he didn't see combat during the war. Now, George Martin was a working class man. However, he did model his accent on an officer so he could sound more upper class. George used his war veteran grant to enrol at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama between 1947 and 1950 where he studied piano and oboe, his oboe teacher being a woman called Margaret Asher. In 1948, on the day that George Martin turned 22, he married Sheena Chiselholm, producing two children, Alexis and Gregory, which I think was probably his first producer credits. After graduating from the Guildhall, he worked at the BBC's Classical Musical Department in 1950. He joined DMI as an assistant to Parlophone boss Oscar Prouse. At that time, Parlophone, a German EMI imprint, was largely seen as a novelty label of little relevance. When Prouse retired in 1955, Martin took over as head of Parlophone. Uh, his greatest success came with comedy and novelty records from artists such as the Goons, Flanders and Swan, January brings the snow, makes your feet and fingers glow. Is ice and sleet, freeze the toes right off your feet. Welcome, March with wintry wind. Would thou work not so unkind? And uh, Ralph Harris. Ooh, Ralph Harris. Different time. It was a different time. Different time. And then yeah. I tell you what, for a comedy record, they're, they're probably not that funny anymore. In 1956, he also signed as singer Dick James who sang the Robin Hood theme song. Robin Hood. 
Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, with his band of men. Feared by the bad, loved by the good. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Uh, now, keen to capitalise on a burgeoning UK rock and roll scene, he began looking for a group to work with. So we go back to 1962, on the 13th of February, Brian Epstein visited the record labels HQ of EMI and Manchester Square office in London, at which Sir George Martin heard disc and spotted some potential and showed interest in meeting with the band. Now, it was in April though, this year, the 10th of April 1962, that Stuart was rushed to hospital. He died before arrival. The cause of death was cerebral paralysis, a result of bleeding, the bleeding um, right ventricle in his brain. Wow. Now, there's several, several, um, there's a few different theories to how this death came about. Um, well, listen, listen, I, I didn't know about this. Mm. But you just told me before that he got a kick in the head, essentially. Yes, so... People, some people think that this fight in Liverpool that John and uh, Pete saved him from, this could have been a potential cause of this. Right. Other people have claimed that that kick in the head that John Lennon gave him potentially caused his death as well. So there is some strong theories and rumours out there that John Lennon could have inadvertently led to Stuart Sucker's death. Hmm. She loves you, yeah. <laughs> Again, so, so you can tell, like we've been recording for however long now. Yeah. And so far, everything, the overall theme of everything up to this point has been pretty negative. It has been pretty, mate. There's a lot of, it's going to get worse. There's, there's a, <laughs> mate. There's a lot of darkness. We've, we've not even, we've only come across our first death in this story. I tell you what, more. let's get cracking. <laughs> let's get cracking. Anyway, but but no, they, um, but I mean, it is. This is the thing about John Lennon and to about the darkness in his life, of course, talk about his family upbringing. But he's, you know, closest friend, you could say, one of his closest friends. Even though, you know, it's not been confirmed this is the reason he died. And it's, again, the doctors, they, I don't, it's not, it's never been agreed that this is it. It's just a theory people have. But it must have played on John Lennon's mind. He must have thought about, gone back to that incident and thought, must have felt some guilt about it. Essentially, so that, that that must. I mean, that's not that, that must weigh on John Lennon's mind for the rest of his life. I reckon. Yeah. Again, it's another reason for him to be pessimistic, mm. because he's always got that lingering over him. Definitely, you've always got that doubt, and it will never be confirmed either. That's the thing. No, it's not even saying you can say. Do you think this is the reason why? Because if he came out and said, "I kicked him in the head," because you think that could have caused the bleeding in his brain. Mm. Chances are he might get arrested. Exactly, yeah. Potentially. Exactly. And it's too, too late anyway. It's not like... You know, yeah, it's too yeah, late now. Yeah. They, would be able, they wouldn't have been able to tell by this point, but yeah. still, it's uh, quite dark. Yeah. So 11th of April, a day after Stuart Suckliffe had died, Paul, Pete and John fly to Hamburg, where they were greeted, uh, they were greeted by Astrid, who actually tells them the news that Stuart had died. John apparently broke out into a fit of hysterics. Um... And he, he did really take his death hard because he was really like you know one of his best friends, if not his best friend at the time. Um, and I think that like, the hysterics were just like, uh, you know, just weird. You know, they didn't know what, what to do. Yeah, it's a very strange reaction. Strange, very reaction. strange, very strange. Um, none of the Beatles actually turned up to his funeral. Um, it might have been partly due to the fact he was, they, yeah, they were playing in Hamburg at the time. 
Um, apparently, they didn't send their condolences. It was Brian who sent some flowers and added their names uh, names to them, saying this is from Brian, you know, and John, Paul, George. So, oh, yeah. yeah, even strange. Yeah, it's very strange. We're, we're nothing but grey areas so far in this in this podcast. It is, um, and this inspired John Lennon's first lost weekend um, during their third trip to Hamburg. Um, again, we talked stories about uh, John Lennon, how he performed with a toilet seat on his head in his underpants. They were, they were taking amphetamines, they were getting drunk. It was on this uh, third trip where I think things got even more raucous. Uh, he was frequently getting drunk. Um, he got arrested one night for jumping around in a club in a gorilla suit. That's right, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, he had an affair with Astrid. No. Had an affair with Astrid. No. Yep. And he also... How does that happen? I, I don't know, but um, he, uh, he was... He, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, I mean, this he, is, we've, got, uh, we've got to assume that this is like like the the next couple of days after he died. Very soon, I imagine, yeah. Oh. He's also he's with Cynthia at this time as well. Um, also, he urinated on a nun. Uh, apparently, this happened accidentally. But yeah, he urinated on how, a nun. How do you accidentally urinate on a, on well, a nun? I think he, apparently it was like he was. Um, I think there's a balcony involved, and he, um, yeah, he urinated on a nun. Yeah, nun right. was there. Right, so he <laughs> yeah. pissed off a balcony. I thought you meant he urinated on a so nun. Was walking along, maybe yeah. getting serious, taking a piss, and maybe. Well, I uh, wasn't there. Maybe no, no, no. But I was assuming that maybe he nicked the bottom of her dress. You know, her kind of gown thing. You know, what the nuns are. I don't know what it's called. But maybe he just got a bit of piss in the bottom All of it. Right. No, you're saying potentially yeah. we're not. This isn't confirmed. Yeah, we're not experts. This isn't yeah. confirmed. But he pissed off a balcony onto a nun's like, like probably covered her, drenched oh, yeah. her, showered her in piss. Yeah, golden shower. Maybe yeah. the first ever celebrity golden shower. It could be. It could, could be. be. It's like that, like that more common sketch singing in the rain. But I said of rain, it was piss. Yeah, I said of that like, Morecambe, it was a nun. Um, but it was, what you were saying was like, like you know, like a music festival. You've been at a music festival where you need to take a piss into a, a bottle, but then you've you you like your bottle's not big enough, so the splash, or even like you've just not aimed it right enough, so the splash, so it slightly gets onto someone else. So you do slightly sometimes piss on someone. Are you thinking it's that? Well, they were both at a music festival, John and the nun. I potentially that yeah. could have been it. That yeah. could have been it. That's could've what I it. thought it might have been. Yeah. It. But apparently uh, not. But, but, but to be honest, your one makes more sense because why would a nun be in this yeah. be in this situation? Yeah. In a music festival. Yeah. Maybe she was in the club where he was dressed up as a gorilla. Could be. Could be. Um so George and Brian, they fly uh, out to Hamburg um the following day. Around this time, of course, um the Beatles play a residency at the Star Club in Hamburg, um, going from thirteenth of April to the fifth of May 1962 um, and of course on the 21st of April 1962 Liverpool are promoted to the first division after winning division two with uh, five games to go after beating Southampton 2-0. Oh, come a long way since then. Yeah, big and monumental day. Anyway, um, the 4th of June the Beatles sign with Parlophone, a subsidiary of a, a EMI. Um, and this four-page document gave uh, EMI options to extend their contract for three one-year periods. EMI went on to exercise all of these. On the 6th of June, the beat was recorded at Abbey Road for the first time. Uh, now, George Martin, he left the um, session in the hands of Ron Richards and engineer Norman Smith. Um, the beat was recorded, Best May Mucho, PSI Love You, Love Me Do and Ask Me Why. 
Uh, George Martin was in the canteen and Norman Smith asked the tape operator, Chris Neal, to call Martin up as he was impressed with Love Me Do. Um, after the meeting, uh, George Martin played back the recording to them and laid into them and just basically criticised them. Basically said everything that's wrong with them, everything that's wrong with their professionalism. And then George said to them, is there anything that you're unhappy with? And George Harrison said, well, for a start, I don't like your tie. And then after that, that broke the ice. And apparently they joked around for 15 to 20 minutes. And that was one of the key reasons that George Martin actually agreed to work with him because he wasn't like that impressed with him musically, but he did like him as, as people to sort of their charisma. However, there's another reason. According to Mark Lewison's book, Tune In, um, this book recounted that George Martin didn't actually want to sign the Beatles, but he had to as punishment because he actually had an affair with a secretary at EMI. Also, he had bold salary negotiations as well. Um, but yeah. Sorry, hang on. What's the punishment there? That he had to, so he didn't really like the Beatles at the time. Um, so someone was like blackmailing him? No, no, it wasn't that. It was that he had an affair. He was a married man. Yeah, and he, he had, had an affair with the secretary. Yeah, at EMI. So how does him signing the Beatles come into that? Well, he, he so so he signed the Beatles, but he wouldn't wasn't necessarily working with them. Um but he had to work with them. He was made to work with them as punishment. Right, he didn't really you. like, cause right, he, he didn't I'm rate them musically. Okay. And then they said, well, so as the punishment. The company said kind of as punishment. As punishment, you've got to work with them. You've yeah. got to be the one to you produce. Because they've already signed him to the deal. I tell you what, it's probably not the worst affair you've heard of. There are worse affairs to have. Worse affairs to have. That is a worse, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not too bad of punishment. I'm not, listen, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying affairs are right. No. But if you had to have an affair, that's probably the best Best case scenario. Best case scenario, mate. Now, it's around this time that the Beatles are about to get rid of Pete Best. On the 15th of August, uh, Pete Best plays his final gig with the Beatles. And on the 16th of August, uh, Pete Best is actually fired from the band. Not by any members of the band themselves, but by Brian. And Brian spoke to Clavin Club DJ Bob Wooler about firing him. Bob said it wouldn't be a popular decision. Um, but Brian went ahead anyway. And he called him in for a meeting uh, at 10 a.m. at NEMS for a meeting. And he, he sat, sat him down, sat Pete down. He goes, um, oh, how are you doing, Pete? How's family? Yeah, it's not, not too bad, yeah. Oh, you see Liverpool won the second division? Yeah, they might win the title this year. Yeah, they probably will, yeah. They probably will. I agree with you. Very good team. Uh, oh, but by the way, he kicked out of the band. And, um, yeah, he kicked him out of the Beatles. Why was he fired? I don't I don't think they, they, just didn't, they didn't really rate his drumming. He was also, he was, as I talked to you about it before in Germany with Stuart Sutcliffe, Stuart and Pete, they were very much seen as like they, were, you know, they were set upon sometimes because yeah. they were new members of the band. They hadn't been through like the, you know the days of Jap Age three. They weren't, you yeah, know, fair enough. So they were new members, so likely they were probably going to get some hazing. Yeah. Um, so to that for, for one reason, and yeah, I just don't think they really rated like his musicianship. Ringo was a, a highly rated drummer, and so yeah. they thought it'd be better. Pete, Pete Best is the one that is always considered that. That extra beat or the one that, mm. as you've said, have we, after we've seen it, there were quite a lot of other members. Yeah. Jim Corey Mendes, etc. But mm. Pete Best is the one that came so close because he was there when they turned professional. Like, yeah. When it really took off, he was there. Yeah. And he just fell apart at the end, which is a real, real show. But he's done really well out of it. Has he? Yeah, he's done really well. When I went to mm. Liverpool, um, yeah, someone said that. I, I think he actually got the royalties for some of the really early stuff like that. Oh, really? Um, plus... He's written like books. Mm. He's written books. He's had his own stuff as well. He's actually written a couple of solo albums. Mm. I think a bit later on, mm. and he done really well. Like put it this way, he's more than set up for life. 
more that's, than set up, which is kind of nice. That's the thing. Imagine that. That was like a year out of his life. When, or no, two years out of his life when he was with the Beatles. Like, got... got but he is sorted. He was set up for yeah. those two years. Exactly, sorted. Two years in his youth. So imagine that's like two years in that... Uh, sixth form. His sixth form was going with the Beatles, set up for life, great stories to tell, free trips to Germany, saw a guy piss on a nun. Like... I mean, it's a, you, what a you, way to spend your two years. Yeah, and I mean, you would. Let's not lie. You got the rest let, of your life. Let's not lie. You would be pissed. You would be pissed. You you nearly made it. Well, during this, during the rest of the sixties, you would have been mm. like, "Fuck, I could have been a part of that." But I tell you what, after that, you. Would have, I, I, I think definitely by at least the nineties. I mean, you might have stayed there for a while, but if I was him, you might have stayed there for that. But by the nineties, you would have been like, "Actually, I've done really well out of it." Well, I'll tell you, and I was still a part of it. Well, we're talking about the Beatles, like talking about like m- missing out on like all the things you could have had. Read is something now. This, if there's ever something to take away from the Beatles story, the greed is not always a good thing. We will learn that later on as well. Ringo Starr was born Richard Starkey on the seventh of July, nineteen forty, to Elsie and Richard Starkey Senior, and they separated when Ringo was three. Elsie married Harry Graves, um, and. She got on well with Richard and encouraged her. I mean, imagine you work she's her son. Uh, <laughs> you know, so. There are, there are unconfirmed reports that apparently he was a real wanker. <laughs> they didn't really get on that. Unconfirmed. Unconfirmed. Uh, anyway, encouraged their son's passion for music. Um, but Richard was a sickly child and spent a lot of time, a lot of time in hospital. Among his afflictions was... Um, were a coma that was caused by appendicitis, a cold, a cold which led to pleurisy, and various allergies and intolerances to certain foods. His illnesses made him uh, fall behind in school, and he became infatuated with skiffle music. Um, and in the 1950s, of course, he co-founded the Eddie Mills Band, which changed their name to Eddie Clayton and Clayton Squares. Um, in 1959, he joined the Raven Texans a backing band for local singer Rory Storm. Um, while playing in bands, he got the name Ringo because he liked to play, uh, liked to wear rings. And also, he would play solos, reluctantly play solos, um, which were called Star Time. So he got the name Ringo Star. That's a good name. It's a good name. Let's be honest, it's probably the best name out of all of the Best, Much better than John. Um, and yeah, so and um, right. they grew up in Liverpool. Who is the worst name out of the Beatles? Quickly, I mean, Paul McCartney is very interesting. I mean, it, but his real name is actually James, though. So James McCartney is that better? Well, I suppose no stage names. Let's talk about stage. their names that they're known by. George Harrison, John Lennon, I like it because Lennon's yeah. quite a cool name. Yeah, his real, real name, John Winston Lennon. That's a quality name, yeah. but it is actually yeah. you're right. You should have thrown the Winston in there, yeah. but um. Ringo Starr is definitely the best. The best name, yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so they grew up in. He grew up in Liverpool, right? And um, and and yeah, what was you telling me about where? Yeah, yeah so there's a. Uh, so his mum, I don't know if she worked there or not, but she used to be. Uh, there was a pub basically around the corner from where he lived, which she used to go to, and she used mm. to do a bit of singing there. Mm. And I think that was quite a big influence for for Ringo hearing his mum sing at this yeah. pub. So much so that later on in his career. He uh, had a uh, it, during some. What, it was one of his. I'll have a, we'll have to look into it and see which one it was. But one of his um, solo albums, uh, the the album cover or the album name was the pub. Mm. So I can't remember. It was even the album name was the same as the pub, or the album cover featured a picture of the pub. Mm. We'll have to look into that and see. 
But anyway, opposite the road to this pub, if you go down the road, it's where they film Peaky Blinders. Oh, really? So, fun little fact. And it's weird. if you, So you, you can't really see it at street level because it's closed off. Mm. If you get on like a double-decker bus or a coach or something, you go past it. You go down this street, and I think you go past the pub, and you go down the street, and then all of a sudden you look over in this pub, and there's a street that just looks Victorian. Mm. It's really strange, all black, and, and it looks like really old-fashioned. So fun little fact for you. I did not know that. Very interesting. So yeah, don't if you want to see the set of Peaky Blinders, don't go to Birmingham. No, go, go to Liverpool while listening to the podcast. On the twenty third of August, nineteen sixty two, John got married to Cynthia. These two met in art school, nineteen fifty nine. Um, Cynthia, she also apparently died. Her father died, um, and they got married because John got her pregnant. Um, Rigo- Lad. Lad. <laughs> uh, they met in art school. Um, John asking. Uh, Asking Cynthia if like she he could borrow some like equi- art equipment, and from there they would sort of um, get to know each other. It was mixed. Apparently, John sometimes would be like really loving to her, and then sometimes would like at parties, you know, keep the keep his distant. And he cheated on her quite a bit with Astrid, which is one of one of the the times. So um, again, not the greatest person, really. Not the greatest yeah. geezer. No, no, not even. I, I don't even know if he's he's, he's membership is pending. Um, so around this time, Ringo... He... So we're doing a podcast called Why They Were Geezers. Why They Were Geezers. At the moment. But that's why I wanted to call it originally, actually. Why They Were Geezers. Yeah, yeah. We um, talked about that, didn't we? That's what it was going to be called, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was going to be called, yeah. But we're now... His geezer membership is kind of yeah. pending at the moment. Pending. So we'll see. I think, he, I think we'll find out later that he might do enough just to yeah. sway his way into the geezer membership, but we'll see. We'll see. So Ringo, he starts seeing um, Maureen around this time as well. Um, she was a regular in the Cavern Club. Um, so George Martin, um, he wanted the Beatles to record How Do You Do It on on the 4th of September 1962. Um, How Do You Do It would be a hit for fellow NEMS acts during the Pacemakers. Um, and the Beatles recorded it, but apparently didn't give it their full effort and persuaded Martin instead to release the song they recorded, Love Me Do, as the single. So then during the second recording of Love Me Do session, they remade it in 10 takes. Um, Ringo Starr didn't play drums on the record. Producer Ron Richardson bought a session player, Andy White, in as a replacement, as Ringo hadn't proved good enough during the band's uh, 4th of September session, um, and he was relegated to the Maracas. On the 11th of September 1962, that the Beatles started recording Please Please Me, um, and they recorded it with Andy White on drums. Uh, George, George Martin uh, thought it was too slow, so he told them to rework it and speed it up. Um, it was then on the 1st of November 1962 um, that all four of them, George, John Paul, George um, and uh, Ringo, signed a contract with Epstein. Um, four days later, Love Me Do is released, reached 17, uh, 17th in the UK charts, PSI Love You being the B-side. As I write this letter, 
didn't do incredibly well. The two songs, uh, song publishing were owned by Ardmore and Beechwood Limited. Um, the Beatles had their first UK TV performance on a programme, People and Places, where they performed Love Me Do and a cover of Richard Barrett's song, Some Other Guy. It's a fucking great song. Um, that was on the, the 17th of October 1962. On the 26th of uh, October 1962, the Beatles played with a group called the Outlaws in the public hall in Preston. Um, and guess who was in the Outlaws? Who? Well, there was a guy who was in the Outlaws called Chaz Hodges, who would then go on to be in one of the greatest bands of all time, Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Dave. Get you with me, rock and roll records I give up. Get you with now, up to this point, this has all been an intro to the real, to the real, to the real story. Yeah. Now, forget all of you just hairs. Yeah. We're now going to dive into the lives of, of Chaz, Chaz and Dave. Dave. Chaz and Rabbit. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> also, Richard Blackmore from the band called Deep Purple. Yeah, Purple whatever. was also in the Outlaws, but fuck it. Fuck that. Fuck that. Anyway, they have their first radio interview the 27th um, of October of 1962. And it was then on the 26th of November, they did record this faster tempo, Please Please Me, uh, John Lennon on harmonica. They recorded in 18 takes, and after the session, George Martin said to the Beatles, you've just made your first number one. Cracking, done it, done it. And do you think that it's a coincidence that they've they've crossed paths with Chaz Hodges? I, you know what I mean. Well, well mate, that's all I'm saying. See, I didn't want to say it, but I think that's the real reason. I think that's the real reason, mate. Also, I'm going to ask you. You saying he nicked all of the songs from Chaz? Maybe, mate. I, there's an argument for it. There's no evidence out there. Just coincidence, isn't it? It's a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, one of the great, one of the great conspiracies. You could put it up there if 9/11 was fake. You know what I mean? Is 9-11 fake? Yeah, yeah. Did the Beatles steal the material from Chaz Hodges? It's up there. It's up there. Um, going back to Chaz Hodges, I'm not going to go too far off, sorry. But no, do, do, do it. Don't have right, anything to do. I'm yeah. going to ask you a question. Go on. Did Chaz and Dave turn off the lights and masturbate together? If they didn't, if they if they did, sorry. I hope there was a surrogate around to collect that seed. <laughs> that, that will kill cancer, my son. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, reckon, I reckon someone was around to collect it and when Margate was closed down when Dreamland yeah. was closed down in Margate they just all they did was like sprinkle a little bit of it a dusting yeah, of it yeah. over Dreamland and then that's what brought it back that's to life it back. that's what brought it back down to Margate down to Margate yeah, I think the government have got that. Whatever that, wherever that sample is, the government have it. Yeah, yeah. They're saving it for a real catastrophe to yeah, basically yeah. instantly, instantly just save everything, restart humanity. So they, so they go back to Hamburg again, 
um, around about this time in December. Um, they actually eat a uh, they eat a horse for Christmas dinner. Some people are doing that if you got your Christmas shopping for, Christmas shopping from a uh, uh, Tesco's. Hey. So it's not that uncommon. Uh, mm. Unless you are Tesco's That's... and you are looking to, to sponsor, <laughs> sponsor us, then us, please get in touch. I'll I'll apologise for that. Buy the new unless horse you burgers. don't unless you don't want me to. If you want to sell your horse products, it's fine. So it's uh, not. I'm not bothered, mate. Where we Is that a normal thing in in Germany? I don't I don't know. Imagine like, oh, what have you got an offer for today? Oh, we've got um got a bit of uh got. Oh, you can have a bit of classic beef, beef burgers, or uh, you know, you can have a bit of roast turkey, or we've got a horse going, or <laughs> a um, bit of a horse. or we've got a bit of duck, or you know, what was that? Yeah, so we've got a bit of duck, or a bit of, no, 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 a horse. Yeah, we've got a horse going, you know. What I would say though is like, it's, you could have a, you could feed a lot of people off of one horse. I could do. It. I mean, a horse should feed you for a while. I mean, mm. you know, when people have turkey and then that night they have like a bit of a turkey. Sandwich because mm. they got a bit left over turkey. You'll be having turkey sandwiches, or you'd have me horse sandwiches for the next week. Yeah, if you had a horse, it, that would last you ages. Bung some horse in your baguette. Uh, I tell you what, it's probably not even that bad. Probably not even that bad. Let's try it next time. We'll be travelling to Hamburg to try horse. That's what you want to do, and uh, and <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, yes, we will. Um. So please, please me was released on um, on the eleventh of um, January. Uh, this was the single, please, please me, and the B side being "Ask Me Why." It wasn't an instant hit. It took six months for sales to reach up to 250,000, although it did top the new musical Express Melody Maker. And it reached number one where it stayed for 30 weeks. Now, to understand why the Beatles became so popular and really became the biggest band in the world, um, I think it's important to understand the musical landscape, you could say, of music around um, 1962, 1963. Now, the extent that pop music was in a slump around around this time has been greatly exaggerated. Now, in terms of quality, we still had great music. You know, we had acts such as the Beach Boys and uh, Sam Cooke. You know, we had, we had great music. However, there wasn't really a big superstar around. Um, you know, back in the day, it was Frank Sinatra and then Elvis. Um, both of them were making films um and elvis yeah he was making films and soundtrack albums his popularity wasn't what it once was and frank sinatra he wasn't really the pop icon that he he once was before he would get back to that but i'd say that was more towards more towards the mid to late 60s so in terms of there being a massive act like a superstar act there was a gap to be filled and a lot of British music, it did sound very tame. So there was room for something out there to really grab, really grab the young people and really excite people. So the Beatles came along at a really good time. And I don't like when people say, you know, all the Beatles were was right place, right time, because there's much more to it than that. But it did help them when they came along. At the time, Chuck Berry was in prison for transporting an underage girl across state lines. We had the sad deaths of Buddy Holly, 
Richie Valens and JP, the Big Bopper Richardson, who died in a plane crash. Jerry Lewis, his popularity declined after the scandal of him marrying his 13-year-old cousin. And Chaz and Dave were still nine years away from being formed. Also, if you factor in that in January 1963, the UK was suffering from one of its most brutal winters, the public were waiting for, for something to come along and really grab them and excite them again. And that's one of the reasons the Beatles were quality, because they were there really to give everyone, you know, a dose of excitement in their lives. Which, which of course, Liverpool were already, already providing with them for its football team. But, you know, the Beatles, they, they added to it. Now, the Beatles had their first hit. And around about this time, Brian Epstein was looking for a music publisher for the Beatles songs. And it might be too early to say, this is where the beginning of the end came. He told, <laughs> we've only just got started, but here's where things go south. He told George Martin that he was considering letting a US company, Hill and Range Publishers, uh, the publishers of Elvis Presley's songs, handle John Lennon and Paul McCartney's original compositions. And Martin said, no, no, don't go to them. You need someone smaller and hungrier for success. And remember he had that singer who sung the Robin Hood theme song he produced, Dick James. Well, he said, let's go to Dick James. He's, you know, he publishes music. So James reacted positively to Please Please Me when he met with uh, met with Brian. And during their first meeting, um, Epstein asked him what he could do for the Beatles. And James picked up the phone he called up Philip Jones, producer of hit ITV show Thank Your Lucky Stars, and he said, um, "You know, can you book the Beatles on?" And that got the Beatles their first nationwide television appearance, and that was enough to seal the deal. So now the Beatles publishing would now go to Dick James. So Beatles, um, they recorded a "Please Please Me, Thank Your Lucky Stars" on the thirteenth of January, nineteen sixty-three, and it aired on the nineteenth, six days later. On the 11th of February 1963, the Beatles recorded the rest of the Please Please Me album, which consisted of 10 more songs, as uh, four were already recorded. Of course, the two singles and the two B-sides, which were, of course, Please Please Me, Love Me Do, Ask Me Why, and PSI Love You. On the date they recorded in three sessions, uh, they only planned to do two, but a third was added, each session lasting about three hours. They recorded the album in 12 hours, and nine hours of those were used for recording. So session one ran from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. They recorded uh, There's a Place. Ten takes. Oh, she's a decent, decent song, you know. You know yeah. right. um, and then, of course, one of the classics. I saw her standing there. Fantastic Beatles song. Brilliant. Nine takes. Yeah. Um, at 1 p.m., the staff broke for lunch. But the Beatles kept rehearsing. At 2:30 to 6 p.m., they did a taste of honey. A taste of honey. Tasting much Do you want to know a secret? You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. Listen 
Um, and then Misery, a great song. Um, then that from they went into session three, which was 7:45 to 10:30 p.m. Hold me tight. Um, and then after that, what they did was they did all the originals first, and then they just banged out all of the covers at the end because so if they ran out of time, basically you know they they do the more important stuff at the start. Yeah. Um, so they did Anna, original record. Uh, sorry, originally recorded by Arthur Alexander. They did three takes. Sherelle's song did it in one take. Um, which was the Ringo song. Uh, Chains, it did that in uh, four takes. Baby It's You, they by the Shirelles, they did that in, fur, in three takes. And Twist and Shout was left for last. Now, John Lennon, throughout this session, he was suffering with a sore throat. So throughout the session, he'd been having zooms, which were these lozenges, right. not some kind of amphetamine. Often, maybe. Well, I'm glad he's toned it down, really. Toned it down. Yeah. 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 down a bit. Don't be chewing on cardboard. Yeah, exactly. Just, just have some. Just have some. No, that's probably what. That's probably why. That's probably why. Yeah. Probably what got game sore throat. I tell you what, I'm gonna say it's probably not kicking deep in the head on lozenges. Probably isn't, mate. I'm probably isn't. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So had some zooms and warm milk to keep his, you know, try scave off, you know, try and keep his voice, try and get him through it basically. And he left a twist and shout. Originally, a song recorded by Top Notes. He left that for lot for the latest in the day. They recorded it once. Um, that was the take they went for. They went for a second take, but I think it was unusable, so they took the first take. And that was the album done. So they recorded the bulk of their first album, which I think still holds up today, in less than 10 hours. I mean, that is mad. I mean, it just goes to show the work rate of the Beatles. And that's another reason why they were quality. Because of the time constraints they had put against them. And we're going to see that quite a lot in their career. Uh, it meant that they had to work really hard. And they already had that hard work ethic installed 
in them from you know the Hamburg days and, and everything that really they had to do to even get them to this point. I think hard work is key to you know any kind of success really and that hard work was one of the reasons they were quality. And it was on the 14th of February 1963 that Maureen Ringo's wife was attacked by a fan. Um, she was scratched on her face outside Liverpool's Locarno Ballroom as she waited for the band to leave their performance. And well, Do we know why she was attacked? Well, the thing was, around this time, the Beatles, again, they're starting to become massive, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're just on the way. Yeah, so I'm thinking pe do people know who she was. They, they must have. They must have yeah. seen her with Ringo. And this isn't the only story. There's it, numerous times the wives, they didn't really have a great time with it, it didn't seem. Like fans would attack them. Fan, I think they would stalked before. And yeah, being a Beatle wife really wasn't easy. But on the 22nd of February, John Lennon and Paul McCartney signed contracts to create Northern Songs, which was a publishing company that Dick James had set up with them um he'd said like let's you know i think usually it would work where dick james would take 90 percent, but he was like no i'm not going to do that let's set up a new publishing company and um what's going to happen is this one will own your music but lennon mccartney you'll take 20 percent each brian epstein's company that'll take nine percent and dick james would take 51 percent um he'd also take um, an administrative fare off uh, off the top two um anyway john and paul's royalties went into a company called lenmac which was a british company british company um which was 40 percent owned by uh, john 40 percent owned by paul and uh nems owned 20 percent as well there was then a north american company um and which uh 98 shares um 49 were for dick james and the rest was divided um like northern songs and yeah so that was basically a way to get around tax but yeah so at the time it sounded like a fair deal again growing up they just wanted to be musicians they didn't know about like song publishing you've probably heard songs you probably heard the interviews with paul mccartney where he's famously said well, i just thought once you recorded songs they were just out there they were just you know you know the whole idea you could own a song a bit alien to them yeah and um yeah this this deal they just signed come back against them so they recorded from me to you um thank you girl and one after 909 on the 5th of march 1963 and it was on the 22nd of march that please please me was released released um and yeah i mean on, on this album like what, what tracks stand out for you as being like like for me like i saw her standing there first track yeah. fucking great song um, yeah it's a good it is a great song as well yeah um Apparently, when they used to perform it live, it used to be like a 10 minute jam they used to do. Like, imagine hearing that. That's crazy. Yeah. It'd be cool if there was like a live yeah. so you could hear it. But yeah, that's yeah, that, that's a decent song. I uh, really like that. Misery as well is a fucking great song. Um, Anna, I fucking, I love the guitar bit in, in Anna. It's fucking great. Yeah. Chains, great song. Boys, please, please me. Please, please me, Grant. Ask me why. Yeah. Love me, do, man. Um, a bit, bit, bit of bollocks. Uh, P.S. I love you. Mm. Um, baby, it's you is okay. Do you want to know a secret? I think it's a really good song. It was written by it's John. Not a bad song actually. I do like that one. Yeah, that was the um the George the George song on this one. And uh, yeah, John wrote it. Um, George singing it of course. Uh, but John wrote it about his wife Cynthia because around this time, uh, Brian said keep the marriage secret because of all the fans. You know, 
They don't yeah. want to see. They they want to imagine they're single. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a taste of honey. Uh, also, why you shouldn't go on to a porn star's um, uh, bio page? You know, like, oh no, they're married. Oh, it's a bit depression. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, does that happen quite a lot to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often, like, yeah, you be like researching porn stars, and you find, oh, they're married, and like, oh, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? Yeah. What, what do you find depressing about that? I don't know. It's just like I don't know. Like you'd, you'd imagine if you're a porn, like you'd want. I don't know. It's just depressing to think that they've got a husband somewhere. Right. So, so what you're so you're I'm sitting there feeling. For- sympathetic towards the husband because he's sitting there yeah uh and then his wife's going out and that's how she makes a living yeah unless unless the husband's also a porn star which like some sometimes the case sometimes that happens yeah do you do uh are the, the husband celebrities because you know how uh, you tito ortiz a famous usc fighter he wants i was married to a porn star i was going to say for some reason if you're you're um like a celebrity could probably get a porn star yeah charlie sheen yeah so it depends. Then, then it's not all bad. Not all bad. Uh, taste, taste of honey. Uh, there's a place and twist and shout. Of course, completely album. Twist and shout. Fucking great song. Most people might know it from um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Fucking like, yeah, one of them I hope songs. Not. I hope people, people know, know it from. It yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope they don't know it just from yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But again, just fucking an incredible song. Like, that's one of them songs where like you can't like. That comes on, you're, you're moving. Like. Yes, it's a really iconic song. Yeah. So, Please Please Me, that was released in the US and it flopped around the time. Not a big success. The 14th of April, they see someone else live. The Rolling Stones for the first time. Who are they? The, oh, they are. Maybe not, have you not heard of Rolling Stones? Oh, they are. They, man, they've got some potential, some young upstarts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they see them for the first time um, at the Crawdaddy Club. Uh, George Harrison pers- personally recommended that Deckel Records, the same label that passed on the Beatles after the Deckel recordings, sign a deal uh, with the Stones, and which they'd eventually do, actually. I don't know if it was George, like, if him suggesting that actually led to it, but maybe it was just That's interesting if it was. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, but someone else who actually saw them in the Crawdaddy Club around April 1963 was Andrew Luke Oldham, who was a NEMS employee. Um, and he would leave NEMS and become the Rolling Stones manager. Oh. Uh, this, you could say, is the start of probably the biggest rivalry, and maybe the first rivalry, you could say, in music. Biggie Smalls and Tupac. Biggie Smalls and Tupac. Now we're talking about Blair and Oasis. No, it is the Stones. No, you think about it, no, Stones and the Beatles. I'd say, would you say it's the biggest rivalry in music? Think of the big other ones. You've got Blur and Oasis, Biggie yeah. and Tupac. Maybe James Brown and Little Richard, you could say. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem is, we have, because we weren't around at the time, mm. we can't judge it for how big it was then. when We can't yeah. get an idea for Blur and Oasis, because yeah. we know that was a big deal, because they were open about it, and they were, you know, like, yeah. loads of interviews, etc. But for that, I don't know, I think, maybe, I think it probably is the biggest rivalry of all time, yeah. I think it's it's kind of like the, the dark and the light side of the force. The Beatles are, I want to hold your hand, um, you know, yeah, the nice, you know, suits. Then the Rolling Stones, they're your blues, your, your you know, your, your dark side of, yeah. the, of, of the of the divide, you could say, like, you know, so... Different. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's the way um, Lou Goldham actually marketed them. The same way Brian was like, you know, you need to smarten up, start wearing suits, you need to behave more professionally on stage. Andrew was the opposite. You need to be what the Beatles aren't. You need to be, you know, you know you're not wearing all the same thing and you've yeah. got to be... 
know, a bit more, you know, individual. Exactly. They were, they, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, a bit more, like, a bit more of the dark, like, the, the music that the kids would like, but the parents wouldn't. Around about this time, Paul McCartney meets Jane Asher. Uh, they have another number one, the second number one in the UK, and second number one single, I should say, with From Me To You. And that comes out on the 24th of April, 1963. And it's a great song from me to you. And it speaks to what I was saying before about appealing to older people and younger people as well it's just a nice song that's really well written that young people can get behind it's got a lot of energy and it's also just a very nice song and notice how many releases the Beatles are having it was decided very early on between I believe it was George Martin and Brian Epstein that the Beatles should release two albums a year and a single once every three months and that's another reason why the Beatles were quality because they wrote their own songs and that allowed them to release the quantity of music that they did because they didn't have to outsource uh, songwriting to songwriting teams. They could generate their own hits and because they were great songwriters, their songs were pretty much consistently quality and that allowed them to have chart domination that was really unseen before especially in the UK. And it wasn't really something that was common at the time for bands to write their own songs. In fact, it was something that the Beatles popularised. On the 28th of April 1963, Paul, Ringo and George go on a holiday to Tenerife for 12 days. Now, at the same time, John goes on a 12-day trip with Brian Epstein, and the rumours are the two had a homosexual encounter. Um, and there have only been rumours. But, in a 1980... That's a, str- that's a strange rumour. Do we know of any idea where that's come from? Or? Well, it could have come from a 1983 memoir. Uh, Pete Shotton, remember from The Quarrymen, playing the washboard. Yeah. One of the greatest washboard players in history. Um, he, 1963, he released his memoirs. Uh, sorry, in 1983, he released his memoirs. And apparently, um, John Lennon, in, in the memoirs, John Lennon said... Um, that one day they were talking about it and he said, um, well, nothing really happened, but one day um, Brian tossed him off. So some kind of sexual encounter did happen, according to this book. Brian tossed him off. Apparently so. Apparently right. so. It was later dramatised, um, that whole event with Brian and John, in the 1991 film The Hours and Times. Um, I wonder if anyone's ever made a gay porno about it. That'd be distasteful. Two guys who are dead. No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. But yeah. you have to get something to do. Also, I, also at the end of that, it would just be a hand-drawn video. It would be. Well, so, that's way. Well, I mean, you, you create I mean, a license. What, do you want to? Do you want to develop that? You, do you develop that even further so it goes to the next step? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you can do that if you want. <laughs> I'll let you crack on with that. <laughs> so um, we then get to the. You'd eight- have to hire a Spanish filler. Spanish, well, just filming Portsmouth and Portsmouth, Spain look the same, don't they? Yeah, basically the same. Basically right the same. Uh, the eighteenth of June, this whole incident, of course, was swear, was swirling rumours around the homosexual encounter between John Lennon and Brian. 
On the 18th of June 1963, um, John Lennon, a drunk John Lennon, I should say, beats up Cavern DJ Bob Willer at Paul McCartney's uh, birthday party um, after making jokes about Lennon and Brian Epstein. And um, he beats him to an extent described by some people as beating him half to death. Um, hospitalises Bob Willer. You know what, John Lennon didn't really look like a... He, I'm sure he was a fit guy, mm. but he didn't look that strong. And he's beating people up left, right and centre. He is. Apparently hit him with a shovel as well. Jesus. Um, he apologised for it two days later. Uh, and a day after that, um, it, the story made the press. Now, on that same day, he apologised, the 20th of June, 1963. Um, the Beatles, Brian Epstein... They formed the Beatles Limited that handled the legal, the Beatles legal and business affairs. Um, although much of the business continued to be handled by NEMS Enterprises, the new company, company was a partnership which allowed each of the Beatles to have a specific stake in their success and to ensure lower rates of corporate tax. Because tax in the 60s, especially for your top earners, was mental. I've heard from one source that it was 89%, which I don't know how... That's insane. I don't, that, that I don't even that's know crazy. how that's possible. Yeah, I, I, I need to re-research that because that's fucking mental. Um, so, yeah, uh, July, they record She Loves You, and they start recording with the Beatles. Um, so, on, on the 4th of September 1963, She Loves You is released uh, with the B-side, I'll Get You. And She Loves You, what a fucking tune that is. That's a great song, yeah. She They're, they're starting to introduce other like songwriting techniques. It's yeah. not just all you know. They, they, they've got a bit of a story. It's the first one they've got a bit of a story towards. Which I think is really, really cool. Though. Yeah. What a fucking great song. It's brilliant. They go on on the fourth of um, the fourth of October, nineteen sixty-three. They make their first appearance on Ready Steady Go. That's where Paul Bacani presents a young girl called Melanie Coe with an award for winning a, a miming competition. Um, and okay, so it is a strange competition, isn't it? Strange competition. I wonder what she's miming to. Um, anyway, the 30th, the thirteenth of October. That's where things blow up. This is when the Beatles perform, and this is cited by many as the start of Beatlemania. Right. On ITV Saturday night at the London Palladium, the popular show at the time attracted 15 million viewers. That's crazy. 15 million. That's crazy. Compare mm. that to now, like, if a, if a programme gets 10 million today, mm. that is considered, like, a huge figure, and that's, like, mm. a big deal. Obviously, I mean, back then there was obviously less channels. Mm. Um, so you were limited to what you, you what you could get, but mm. fifty million is a crazy man. Mm. Especially when like what's the population in, in Britain now? Like uh, probably come up between sixty and seventy million. Mm. God knows where it was then. It was probably like 
maybe 30 to 40 or something like that potentially mm. that might be that might be a bit too low but i mean give it some some perspective it's, it's a huge number of the uh of the country not much only falls though so the beatles topped the bill performing from me to you i'll get you she loves you and twist and shout and the next day on itn news they have dressing room footage and um, on the front of the newspapers, the Beatles and the Screaming fans are the front page news. And this is where Beatlemania begins. And that's where we'll leave you. Join us next time where we go through more of the Beatles. More of the highs, more of the lows. More of those bits I have to record post because I forgot to actually say them, say them in the recording session. And they might probably sound a little bit out of place. More of the trials and tribulations, and of course more of why they were quality. Join us next time for the That's Why They Were Quality Beatles episode part two.